My name's Matt Bell. I'm the pastor here at the church. I want to welcome you to Destiny Church. If this is one of your first times here with us, we're so glad that you're here. Let's give any visitors we might have here a, a welcome today. At Destiny, we believe that God has a divine calling on your life, that he is your creator, that you may not know him, but he knows you. And he created with you with purpose, with value, with worth. And he has a divine calling, a divine destiny for you and for your life. And we're all about living out the destiny that God has called us to live at Destiny Church. We find our destiny in God's word. And so we're going to spend some time in God's word this morning so I would invite you to open with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We are in the third week of a series going through the eighth chapter of Romans together. Romans chapter 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible. There is not a better chapter in the Bible than Romans chapter 8. I've had some people question me on that. And I've said, well, point out to me a better chapter and maybe I'll consider it. It hasn't happened yet. So Romans 8, I, I think, is the greatest chapter in the Bible. Our series is called Living the No Condemnation, Spirit-Filled, Power-Infused, More Than a Conqueror, If God is for Me, Who Can Be Against Me, Supernatural, Nothing Can Separate Me from the Love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, Kind of Life, Life. Other people have questioned the... The life, life, whether that was on purpose or not, I honestly can't remember if it's a mistake or not. So I just say life, life, all right? But whether it's there on purpose or not, we need this kind of life, amen? amen. Jesus has made every provision for us to live this kind of life. And what Romans chapter 8 is all about is helping us step into living this kind of life. Before we get into the message today, I do want to say to the church body, on behalf of me and the other pastors, thank you very much. The month of October, you showered us with appreciation, and uh, David and Roberta Fisher set up a station out there for you to write notes and and give us cards, and I've never felt more appreciated in my life. Me and Heather spent a couple nights over the last month going through the cards and reading them and wiping the tears from our eyes as some of them were so touching. And so I just want to say thank you on behalf of the pastors. Uh, it truly is a joy to uh, be able to serve in the capacity of a pastor, and uh, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for sh your showering us with appreciation. Mission accomplished. We feel very appreciated. So give yourselves a big hand this morning. If you could have anyone stay at your home as an honored guest, who would it be? Okay, Jesus, I mean, other than Jesus. Your wife? Somebody's trying to make up for something last week. 
If you could have anybody stay at your home as an honored guest, who would it be? I asked my wife this question. I'm not going to tell you her answer because it, it made me laugh and it seemed kind of weird. So I'm... Anyway, it, it was wholesome, but uh, who would it be? How honored. Think about how honored you would be if somebody like the Queen of England said she was going to stop by and stay at your house for a couple of days. You'd be, how, how humbled and honored would you be? How freaked out would you be? What about the President of the United States? I, whoever the President is, what a great honor that would be to have them come and stay in your home. What about for you musicians out there if Bono decide to come and hang out at your house? Maybe you don't know who that is. That's okay. What about, what about, what about people from, from history? What about if Billy Graham could come and stay at your house for a couple nights? Wouldn't that be an honor? Or Mother Teresa? Abraham Lincoln. Wow. Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther the Reformer. Like, think about what that would be like to have this honored guest come and, and stay with you. How would you prepare to receive them? What, what sort of things would you do? do? Do you think you'd have dishes in the dishwasher when they stop by? Or, or in the sink, I mean? You think you might straighten up a little bit? Basically shove everything you own into a closet somewhere? <laughs> everything that's normally just all over the floor? I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know, if I had, if I had one of these people coming to stay at my house, I thought, you know what, I'd have to, I'd have to get the carpet shampooed. You know, I've got four little kids, and our carpets are, the fact that we even have carpets, a disaster. I'm like, I'd have to get the carpet shampooed. And then I thought, you know what? No, I wouldn't. I'd just get new carpet. Like, I, like I'd rip it out. If Billy Graham was coming to stay at my house, if any of these people, I, I would get all new carpet. What sort of preparations would you make for them to come and to stay with you. You'd certainly be tidying up. You'd, you'd, you'd be probably doing those projects that you said you'd get to, you know, five years ago when you bought the house. That ugly room with the ugly wallpaper is still there. How on edge would you be the whole time they were at your house? Like you probably wouldn't fall asleep you know, with a, with a sack of potato chips on you on the couch, right? You'd, you'd probably be a little bit on edge when they were staying with you. What, after they, what, what, would, what would you do after a week if they said, you know what, I've decided to move in. I, I want to live here. This is where I want to live. Would you, would you make a place for me in your house? That would be insane. We all laugh. How ridiculous that would be for any of these people to want to live in our house. What would that be like? With that question in mind, I want to read from Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11 today. Paul writes and he says, 
You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Lord, that you would increase and that I would decrease and that your word would go forth and and have an impact in hearts and in lives. Lord, that you would bring about transformation in us by your spirit to help us to live our lives so that they bring glory and honor to you, that we would fulfill the purpose for which you placed us on this planet to be image bearers of the Most High God. In Jesus' name, amen. I asked, you know, how honored you would be if the Queen of England or the President or Abraham Lincoln came and and stayed in, in your house. But the amazing thing is that there is someone more honorable, more renowned, far more important than anyone from human history. And this person has chosen to make you his home. This person, Jesus Christ, has chosen to dwell in you. To dwell, that's that's not a temporary visit. That's not to spend the night. That is to take up residence. That's to move in. Jesus Christ, he says, lives in you by his spirit. How amazing is that? You know, this idea of how honored we would be if the queen came, how much honored and humbled should we be that the God of the universe has made his home in our hearts? That's what this is saying. Do you see that this is what this is saying? That Christ dwells in you by his spirit. You know, this truth, and it is the truth, it is so astounding. It's so mind-boggling. It's so incomprehensible that I think we just say, okay, move on. Yeah, God lives in me. I got Jesus in my heart. What's next? We, we, We can't even begin to fathom what this means, that, that God lives in me? 
His spirit is, is in my body, Paul says, in our, our physical frame. It's too much to, wa- to wrap our brains around, so we kind of just move on from thinking about it. You know, a couple of uh, weeks ago, there was this thing that came out in the news that Google had done something called quantum computing. How many of you read anything about that? How many of you read like, okay, four of you. Great, great, great illustration I brought this morning. Anyway, it's, it's some kind of computing that just leapfrogs everything that we have today. It's just like adds like a hundred zeros to it immediately, the computing power. And I read a little bit about it, but I could only read a little bit about it because I was just like, my mind can't even comprehend the enormity, the, the hugeness, the vastness of, of what this leap is that they're talking about as far as computing power. And what I'm really thinking there is, well, will it help me get through my whole day with my iPhone battery from dying? Is that, can, can it do that for me? Can it help me, you know, see things faster on Facebook? That's all I really care about. Anyway, it's supposedly this in, in enormous, incredible breakthrough, but it's hard to even understand as I read about it. And maybe the three other people who read about it can explain it to me later after church. But the point being that there's something even bigger than quantum computing. There's something even more hard to fathom, and it's the vastness of the eternal God and the fact that, that he would come and, and live in us. But I think that we as Christians should meditate on this truth more often. You know, in the first message of this series, I, I said that we as a church, and, and me personally, that we all need to rediscover the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We, we need a rediscovery of the power of God's Spirit in our lives. And I believe that where that starts is by, by meditating on the fact that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. To, to, to take time and to, to think it through and to, to have this idea not buried somewhere as a part of some kind of catechism or something that I heard about in Sunday school when I was a kid, but, but to have this at the forefront of who I am. That as a Christian, I am filled with the Spirit of God. The life of God lives in me. Paul actually says in a roundabout way that this is the definition of a Christian. He says a Christian is someone who has the spirit of God living on the inside of them. Are you someone who has the spirit of God living on the inside of you? I mean, this seems like it should change everything, honestly. We need to meditate on this truth more. And what this means is that if 
the Holy Spirit lives in me. I can never think about myself the same way that I did before I was a Christian. I can't think about myself the same anymore. The Bible says I, we, Christians, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you study the Old Testament and you study the, the temple and, and everything that it meant and, and to understand that the, the temple and the sacrifices and God's spirit filling that, that all of that was only a foreshadowing of what we have today. It, it, it wasn't the substance, Paul writes. He says the reality, the substance, we experience it today. That all of that, everything going on with the temple and, and the presence of God filling the temple and the priest going in and, and worshiping at the temple, that all of it was just a picture of the true temple, which is humanity, now filled with God's spirit. When, when, when you go and you read about the great care that the priests would go and, 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 and the great... Uh, uh, reverence with which they would do their duties before the Lord and ministering before the Lord, it transforms the way we think about ourselves if we are now God's temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, because God's Spirit lives in us. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, does Christ live in you? Paul then says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the power of the Son of God who died for me. He says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ, his spirit, living out his life through me. It's a transforming thought about how we think about ourselves as the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, a temple in its most basic definition, a temple is a place where heaven meets earth. It's a place where heaven and earth come together. It's a place where the the separation that exists between the spiritual and the physical, the separation that exists between heaven and earth, where those lines are so blurred. And you, the Bible says, you are that temple. You now, dear Christian, you are the place where heaven meets earth. You now carry with you the, the presence of God every single place that you go. Where you go, God goes. What this means is also that every other believer is also a temple of Christ. Think about the implications of that. That not only am I a temple and, and what I do with my body matters and the way I treat my body and I must use my body to glorify God, not to gratify my flesh, and, but, but also that Every other Christian, every other believer is also a temple of God. What this means is that there is no place 
in the body of Christ for prejudice at all. You're my brother and sister in Christ. You are a, 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 a fellow spirit bearer. Christ lives in you. So there should be no prejudice in the body of Christ according to race, color, education, economic status. All of these differences do not affect my relationship with fellow believers. Can I get an amen? amen. Why? Because you're an image bearer of God who's filled with his spirit. So Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The walls of separation, the walls of distinction, they're gone in Christ. Prejudice, there's no place for prejudice in the body of Christ. Amen. The results of the Spirit living in us, Paul says. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. How many of you can tell that the body is fading away? Right? I mean... We kind of peak around 25, I think. I mean, I'm 38, so I'm, I'm not quite as far, I'm not as, quite as close to Jesus as some of you, but I've got some years since 25, and there's some more gray hair, some more wrinkles, um, things hurt that didn't used to hurt. I can't eat what I used to be able to eat. I mean, at 25, I used to be able to eat a whole pizza at, at midnight and fall fast asleep. If I ate a whole pizza at midnight, now I wouldn't go to sleep, and neither would anybody else in my house, by the way. In fact, my, my family would have to go get a hotel room somewhere else Otherwise, they would die of methane poisoning. And if anyone lit the stove, the whole house might explode if I ate a whole pizza at, at midnight. The body is, 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 is decaying. Paul says the body is dead. We see the effects of death in our life. We see the decay because of sin. And even though our bodies decay, and even though we, we are still in the flesh under the curse because of sin, Paul here says, however, if you're in Christ Jesus, the Spirit will give life to your mortal body. That, that even though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is bringing life because of righteousness, because you are now righteous in Christ Jesus. And so three ways that the Spirit gives life to us now. I believe physically now we can experience the, the Spirit's work in our bodies. I believe in healing. I believe that we can pray and ask God for healing. And that the Spirit will work and do a work of healing in our lives. 
The Bible teaches about healing, that we can come before the Lord and pray and seek and ask, and that God is a healer. So this is one way that we experience the Spirit's work in our mortal bodies. What about just strength and vigor? I wanted to use that word today, vigor. I believe that the Holy Spirit can give you supernatural strength and vitality and, and vigor. I like that word. Number two way that the Spirit gives strength to our bodies is, I believe, the strength to overcome sin. Last week, we saw that to live in the flesh is to fulfill the the desires of the flesh or the desires of sin. But if the Holy Spirit gives strength and life to our mortal bodies, our flesh, he gives us the power to put to death sin in our lives so that we don't have to live in bondage to sin, in bondage to uh, the desires of the flesh, but rather that we can live in victory as he gives us the power to overcome sin in our lives. And number three, and this third point is, is really the one that I believe Paul has in focus here. And this is in verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What what he's talking about here, I I believe he's talking about here, is a resurrection. He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that even though all of us will one day die in the flesh, that just as Jesus Christ was raised to new life by the Spirit of God, so those of us who are filled with God's Spirit When Christ returns, we too will experience a resurrection in glory just like Jesus did on that first Easter Sunday morning. That's an awesome reality. Amen. The body decaying because of sin. This is true of everybody. We see its effects. But knowing that that one day I have an appointment with Jesus in the sky. That those of us who are alive when he returns, the Bible says we will be caught up into the air. But before that happens, the dead in Christ will rise to meet him in the air. And that we, like Christ, will receive a a new and glorified body. And what this helps us to do is it views our life in this world as a pilgrimage. We're only passing through. This world is not our home. Though we have homes and we have places to live and We have an address, and they know where to drop off our mail. Most of the time, they get it right. That this place really isn't our home. That there really is a home that is being prepared for us 
Jesus says, if, if I go to the Father, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. It's a pilgrimage. Life in its fullness will dawn in the death of this life. That we will truly never be alive until we have actually died and have been resurrected with Christ. It changes how we view this life. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 2.9. He says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has even conceived are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Paul says, look, this body, the pains, the aches, the sickness, the disease, the death, it cannot compare to what God has prepared for you. A new body, a glorified body. I think we'll probably be all around 30 years of age. That's kind of where I peaked. Uh, maybe a little earlier, I don't know. Right? Like Our bodies resurrected with Christ, glorified with Christ. Can you imagine getting out of bed in the morning and no pain? Imagine no more going, getting, you know, first stop is by the medicine cabinet to take your, you know, horse tranquilizer pill or whatever it is that you got to, you know, these huge pills that they give you. It's beyond all imagination, he says. You, you cannot even imagine what God has prepared for you. In 1631, Robert Bruce was sentenced to death for preaching the gospel. On the morning of his execution, his daughter cooked him an egg for breakfast. It was his request. It was so nice that he said he almost asked his daughter to cook him another one. But then he paused and he said to her, I've had breakfast with you this morning, but I'm going to have supper with Jesus tonight. This is the reality for us who are in Christ. If the Spirit of God lives in you, you can rest assured that when Jesus returns, you will experience a resurrection just like he did. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Glory is what awaits us in our future. And until that day, we're just passing through. Can't even comprehend what we have in store for us. Robert Bruce lived a life in the spirit. And the spirit of Christ was alive in him because of that, he knew how to live and he knew how to die. I'm going to conclude today by looking back at verse 9, which says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but are in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. I want to end with a warning. 
If you do not have the spirit of Christ, if you do not have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, Paul says that you don't belong to Jesus. So how can I know if God's spirit lives in me? I want to know that I belong to Jesus. I want to know that his spirit is alive on the inside. I'm going to give you three evidences quickly today for the spirit's work in your life. And if you see these at work in your life, you can rest assured that the spirit is alive and at work inside of you. The first evidence of the spirit living in us is faith in Christ Jesus. If you have faith in Jesus for your salvation, you can rest assured that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. This is a result. Faith in Christ is a result of the Spirit's work in our lives. So do you believe in Jesus? I'm not just talking about a superficial faith and easy believism. Yeah, I raised my hand one time, preacher. I prayed a quick prayer. I'm not talking about that kind of faith. I'm talking about do you utterly, completely, totally, with every fiber of your being, trust in, hope in, believe in, have faith in Jesus Christ and him alone kind of faith. If you have that kind of faith, rest assured, the Holy Spirit's alive on the inside of you. The second evidence of the Spirit's work in our life is a process called sanctification. That's, that's where we are being made more like Jesus. Do you look more like Jesus today than you did five years ago, 10 years ago? I'm not talking about growing a beard and, and wearing long robes. The work of the Spirit, the, the character of Christ. Do you, do you see this process of sanctification in your life? Do you feel conviction of sin? When you sin, when you fall, when you fail, do you feel the conviction of the Spirit in your life? I'm not talking about condemnation because there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But a, a brokenness, a, 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 a heartbreak of, oh, I, I sinned, I, I I let my father down. The spirit compels us to run back into his arms when we sin. That's a work of the Holy Spirit in your life, sanctification. Do you see it? Do you see it at work in your life? If you see that work, you can rest assured that it's the Holy Spirit that's alive on the inside of you. The number three way that we could tell that we have the Holy Spirit alive on the inside of us is he gives us a new heart. The Bible talks about the Spirit's work of taking out a, a hard heart of stone, a heart that's become hard and, and brittle and bitter and, and jaded, a heart that's hard towards others, and he replaces it with a, a heart of flesh, the Bible says, a heart that is, is alive and, and is functioning as it should. And what that means is that the Spirit gives us a new heart, and with that new heart comes new affections. Do you love God more today than 20 years ago? Do you see your affection for the Lord growing and your affection for the things of this world shrinking? That's a result of the Spirit's work in your life. 
Do you see new desires? A new heart comes with new desires. So that the things you used to want to do, you don't want to do anymore. And the things you never would do before, pray, worship, go to church, community group, read the Bible, all of those things that you thought people were crazy, your friends, you thought they joined a cult. And then the Holy Spirit gave you a new heart, and that new heart came with new desires. And all of a sudden, I I want to read God's word, and I want to worship. I want to spend time in his presence. I want to fellowship with with other believers. Do you see that in your your heart and in your your life? A a new heart comes with, with new thoughts. You don't think about things the way you used to think about things. The old way, the old man is, is me first, and how much can I get out of this, and how can I make this work for me? What's in it for me? The, the new way, the Spirit's way, is to give and to love and to serve and to, to sacrifice. Do, do you see that happening in your life? It's, it's not you that's doing it. It's the Holy Spirit at work in you. And I'll even say new attitudes the Holy Spirit brings. He calls us up to a higher level, something inside of us saying, listen, that's not who you are anymore. Yeah, you're thinking that, and you're saying that, and you're feeling that, and you're acting this way, but that's not who you are anymore. You're a child of God. You're a temple of God's Spirit. Do you have that in you, calling you up? That's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And so if you can see these things, if you can see faith in Christ at work, if you can see sanctification at work, if you can see the new heart that the Spirit brings at work in your life, rest assured the Holy Spirit is working in your heart and in your life. And because of that, you can have the assurance that when Christ returns, you're going to meet him in the air. This old life is going to be totally wrapped up and the new life that we spend forever in eternity with Christ will begin. Jesus is very clear that when we are saved that in John chapter 14, he says, the Father in me will come and make our home in you. This is just another way of saying the Holy Spirit will indwell us and Paul here says that if you have the Spirit of Christ, you belong to Jesus. But if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Jesus. And so the question we're ending with today is, do you belong to Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? I hope that you can say, I belong to him. I belong to Jesus. And he belongs to me. He is my Savior and he is my Lord. If you're here today and you can't say that, give your life to Jesus. What are you waiting for? He will come and fill you with his spirit. He will begin to work in your life. He will produce faith in Christ, a work of regeneration and baptism and healing and no condemnation and power and love and even a sound mind, the Bible says. You'll fix the way you think. Put your faith in, believe in Jesus today. 
And God will come and live inside of you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to our hearts and to our lives. Father, we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, help us to live every day out of the identity that we carry your spirit everywhere we go. That what we do with our body matters because you live inside of us. Lord, thank you for the Spirit's work in our life of faith in you and sanctification and and the character of Christ being produced in us and a new heart and new desires. Lord, I pray that we would not resist your work in our lives, Lord, that we would would submit to it, that we would lay down our our own thoughts, our own desires, and we would have the mind of Christ and the, the heart of Christ in our lives. Lord, I pray that we all would surrender our lives and give ourselves to you, that you would save all of us, that we would know for sure that when this old body does finally fade away, that there is a resurrection that awaits us in glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.